<clears throat> Good morning. Is anybody going to be sorry to see 2020 go? I mean, what a nutso year. Gee, many Christmas. Normally, what we would do um, is have everybody gather around some boxes and uh, we would uh, corporately uh, stand and pray over the boxes. But we're in purple conditions and uh, we don't want... We don't want anybody too close to anybody or touching things. And so what I'm going to suggest is that we stay right where we're at. And uh, I'm going to pray for, for all of the boxes and um, uh, wherever they will be going. So if you would, uh, join me as we pray for uh, um, all the boxes. <clears throat> Our great God and Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the privilege of sharing the love that you give to us with the rest of the world. Father, this, this small token represented by all these shoe boxes is just a small measure of our love. Lord, we, we pray that as they go to the four corners of the earth, that you would impact lives, both both the children as they receive the boxes and the adults as they uh, partake in, in their role in either distributing them or, or uh, helping to ship them, whatever the case may be. Father, our prayer is that, that uh, this would not just be things for children, but this would be towards the furtherance of the gospel worldwide. Lord, we, we pray that you would make that effectual in, in each one of the individual lives of all the children that will receive these boxes. Lord, we thank you for this privilege. We thank you for the blessings you give us in sharing this. Um, Father, uh, use them for your glory and your honor. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm probably not the person you expected to see up here this morning. Um, neither, neither did I expect to see me up here this morning. Uh, late Friday night, I got a phone call, and, and as Brandon said on the, uh, on the clip, um, he needs to self-quarantine. So, um, here I am. Stan once told me he, had, he thought he had about 35 good sermons in him a year. I'm hoping for two. We're going to be in uh, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning. And uh, if you want to get your Bibles and, and turn there, we're going to be looking at verses 3 through, uh, three through 11. <clears throat> when, uh, when Brandon called... My, my wife says, well, you've got a bunch of old sermons upstairs you could go get. That really doesn't work for me. I need, I need something fresh. I need something new. Um, in order for me to, it just can't be a rehash, if you will. So um, uh, this passage is one that when I sat in your spot and somebody else was up talking about it, it always kind of bothered me 
And as we go through this, I'll, I'll point that out. Um, not, not necessarily bothered me in a good or a bad way, um, probably bothered me in a good way. I noticed that when we, we sang our first song, uh, Now I Have Resurrection Power, um, you have given us power and freedom. That probably came out of this passage in, uh, uh, and, and maybe some others, but this passage out of Second Peter. So let's, uh, let's pray and uh, then we'll, uh, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those that have come this morning. Lord, as we, uh, as we look into your word, I pray that you would um, open our eyes and help us to see the things we need to see. Lord, um, this, is, this is the passage which sums up what our Christian life really is about. Father, I pray that we would, we would know it, we would learn it, we would live it. Lord, that you would uh, cause us to uh, make changes in our lives where, where those changes need to be made. Father, that you would equip us to accomplish what you have set before us. Lord, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, <clears throat> before, we, before we read the passage, uh, just a, just a le- brief little background. When Peter writes this, he's at the end of his life. Um, I don't know, he probably has a, a pretty good inclination that things are not going to end well in terms of how he's going to die. He later is martyred in, in just... Uh, a couple of years. And so he writes this, this uh, letter to the church um, to correct what is going on in his day. Um, there's a saying that um, this automotive magazine that I subscribe to um, always, always comes about, and it, it's applicable here. The more things change, the more they stay the same. The things that Peter was dealing with in his day are, are the same things that the church has dealt with down through the centuries. The same things that we deal with from time to time uh, and, and currently. Those things primarily are false teachings, false avenues. The way that manifests itself a lot of times, is a avenue for higher spirituality. It goes something like this. If only you knew, or if only you would do this, you would gain a higher sense of spirituality. You would gain closer, you would be closer to God if you do these things. And Peter, that's what was going on in Peter's day. The, there, were, there were a number of things that were uh, 
what's the word, being, being prescribed to, to gain a higher plane of spirituality. Um, and Peter writes this letter to offset that. Um, some of the early Gnostic false teachers claimed a higher level of spiritual experience. They said only Christians who followed their teaching could attain. Peter wants to set the record straight. He says, in effect, every Christian, regardless of who you are, is on the same, has been given the same opportunities for spirituality. Um, later on in, in this book, uh, Peter forcefully addresses those false teachers. We, we will not do that today. Um, the first chapter is Peter telling the church what is genuine so they will be able to identify the counterfeit. Um, you probably heard this illustration before, but people who um, are trained to recognize counterfeit bills, they don't spend their time looking at counterfeit bills. They spend their time looking at what is genuine. They look at it, they study it, they know it. So that when a counterfeit bill comes through, it is immediately recognizable. Peter is doing that very same thing here in the first chapter. He is laying out what is genuine so that the readers, and by extension us, will recognize what is counterfeit, what is false, what is, um, what is a bunch of malarkey if you will. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at 2 Peter um, chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 11. We'll, we'll be looking specifically at 3 through 11, but, um, but there's a little bit of an introduction and, and we might as well uh, take that in as well. Now, I'm going to be re- reading out of the New Living, probably different than what you're, you're into, but... Um, you can kind of follow along. There'll be some, some differences in the wording, um, especially when, when Peter, we get to the, to the list, but we'll, we'll, pull, we'll try to tie that all together when we get there. So, starting at verse 1. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and, our, and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of this glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. 
In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do, those, do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay. <clears throat> the first thing that we see is God's great gift to us. Peter said, by his divine power, isn't anything we did, um, it's, it's rather all a work of God. God has changed us. By his, and, and that verse, verse 3, is probably the key verse to this entire book. There's only three chapters, so it's not that big. But um, God has given us everything we need to life and godliness. Think about that. God has given us everything we need to life and godliness. We are lacking nothing. Now, that's not to say we're not gifted differently. We're not used differently. There's, there are some differences between Christians. Obviously, you recognize that. But in terms of godliness, we're all on the same plane. Not, it's not just for the elite. It's not just for those who are um, in the know or if only you did this. It's for everyone. And, and, and Peter even, even goes beyond that. He says the apostles are the same as all of you. Everyone has been given everything they need to live a life of godliness. It's a, it's a great gift. Um, <clears throat> now there's, a, there's another side to this coin, and this, is, this gets to what always kind of bothered me when I was sitting out in the pew and, and somebody else would bring up this passage and talk about this. This is what I tended to, to, to think of. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Terrific. That's a marvelous, marvelous thing. But, there's, but the flip side of that coin is we have no excuse. What are we going to say to God when he says, what do you do with your life? Well, 
you know, um, I, I was, I was kind of busy with, with all the other things going on. And no, God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. We are without excuse. There are, there's nothing, nothing we can say. We've been given it. Whether we used it or not, that's the big question. Whether we implemented it or not, that's the big question. If we don't live a life pleasing to God, it's our fault. We've either prioritized our, right, our life differently than God has, or we have become complacent. Um, but ultimately, we need to recognize that God provides the means and the power. We have to supply the desire, the discipline, and the obedience. Spirituality or godliness, whatever name you want to put with it, is a choice. It does not come automatically. It is not inevitable. It's been described this way, and, and I think this is, a, this is a good illustration. The Christian life is like power steering on a car. Every one of these cars out here in the parking lot has power steering, whether you know it or not. And the engine provides the power for the steering, but the driver must actually turn the wheel. So the Lord provides the power to run our lives, but we must turn the wheel. To a great extent, the Christian determines the course of his life. We, we are in the driver's seat. We get to steer the car. God provides everything we need, the engine, the power steering, the help to do all that. You could extend that illustration beyond and say GPS and everything else. But we have to steer the car. That's the bottom line. We have to steer the car. Peter reminds his readers of God's provisions for them that made them adequate and in need of nothing. The false teachers, whom he would refer to later, didn't, didn't buy into that. They said, only if only you would do this. If only you had read Socrates, or you can, you can fill in some name that, that might be in the first century that had a, a different philosophy of gaining to know God. Um, if only, and, and that pops up today as well. Um, people, pr people advocate higher planes of spirituality and, and a, a different avenue, if you will, from what Peter has said God has provided for us. So, ultimately, it boils down to what do we do with God's gift? He's gifted us with everything we need for life and godliness. Ultimately, it boils down to what are we going to do with it? And I've kind of likened it, this is kind of funny because I don't cook, but I've kind of likened it to a recipe. Um, I don't know what you do when you read Bible lists. You know, there's eight things in this, in this passage which uh, 
which Peter talks about. Sometimes when we read Bible lists, especially names, we kind of we we do a little speed read through there, looking for the high spots, looking for something that's out of place, maybe, maybe something that's not the normal pattern. And, and a lot of times in the New Testament especially, the lists have a lot of overlap. So that one thing kind of, kind of overlaps another, and you, you kind of get the general gist of it. Um, but Peter does it different here. And in a couple other places in the, in the New Testament, um, it's, it's done this way as well. Peter does a, uh, a literary um, formula, if you will, called sorites, which means the subject of one is the predicate of another. Um, I don't know if you noticed when we went through that list, but one thing kind of kind of went on to the other. The way I describe this, this literary thing is kind of like a daisy chain. One thing ties to another, and that thing ties to another, and that thing ties to another. The way, the way Peter wrote it, he started with, with, um, with faith in, in verse uh, 5. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And then he, then he starts the, well, that's the first daisy chain, the next one. Moral excellence with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with patience. And when the first and the last are tied together. In other words, faith, faith is the, is the subject, the predicate is the very last thing in that list, number eight, which is love. Isn't it interesting how we always tend to come back to faith and love in the New Testament? And, and those two things kind of encapsulize all the things in the middle. We're going to go through each one, um, not spend a great deal of time on them. Um, some, things, some things require no explanation. You, you already know what self-control is. Um, some of them we're just going to add a little bit of a definition to. But, but Peter does this to list the importance of each one. He mentions it twice. Um, you know, faith with moral excellence. That's the first time. Moral excellence with the next thing in the list. So he does that to emphasize each one of these traits, these, these qualities that God wants us to work on in our lives. <coughs> now, I said, I said it's kind of like a recipe. And while I don't cook, period, to, to any great extent at all, it's kind of like making up a batch of chocolate chip cookies. If you leave out, if you leave out the chocolate chips, you get cookies, but you don't get chocolate chip cookies. Each one of these ingredients is important. And, and so in this illustration of, of baking, the first thing that it seems to be is we start with the kitchen. 
The kitchen is where we gather all the ingredients, all eight, all eight of these things that, that uh, Peter is talking about. At first, I thought this was kind of in an ascending order, but that's not it. It's, it's the word that, um, that um, sororities comes from means, t- technically it means heap or pile. It's a bunch of things stacked on top of each other. There's, they're not in ascending order. They're, they're randomly selected, but each one is emphasized. So in the kitchen, you gather all your ingredients. You gather all eight ingredients um, and make sure that you've got everything to, uh, that goes with the recipe. Now, the recipe is each ingredient, each one of these eight qualities. The very first one is faith, God's great gift of faith. This is the foundation to which all other qualities build upon. It is relying and trusting in God. Whatever the situation, whatever the case, whatever... Whatever situation you find yourself in, it is relying and trusting upon God. That's number one. The second is moral excellence. And this is a very broad term that that Peter uses. It stands for moral purity and uprightness of character uh, through obedience to God. Um, It's a very broad term. Uh, includes all kinds of stuff. In fact, is your translation may have may have uh, uh, translated it virtue or goodness. Um, in, includes a a wide variety of subjects, but ultimately we got a pretty good idea of what moral excellence is. It's following the prescriptions that God gave in His Word. Which brings us to the next thing knowledge. And that's biblical knowledge. Not just knowing with our head, but knowing with our heart. It's one thing to to know what we need to do. It's quite another to put it into action and to act on it. Peter wants us to not only, both things are needed. We need to know with our head and we need to incorporate it into our lives. Next, number four, self-control. Controlling one's desires and passions. We all got a pretty good idea of what self-control is. And maybe I should have said this at the outset, but as you go through this list and you evaluate your life, as I did mine, you come up with a, a, a grading system, if you will. Some, some of these areas, you might give yourself an A. Other areas, it might not be quite so good. I think we all have strengths and weaknesses. We all excel and we all fall short in different areas. Not the same for you as me or me for you. 
We all are different in that respect. The important thing is that we get all eight worked into our lives. So self-control um, is the fourth one. Patient endurance is number five. And this, this one, um, your, your Bibles may have said perseverance. It's the need to keep on keeping on in spite of adversity. We all know people who have bailed, who have bailed uh, in a variety of situations. Maybe they bailed on their faith. They no, longer, they no longer are living their faith because of whatever reason. They maybe went through some adversity, maybe not. Um, but it's keep on keeping on. Um, patient endurance in holiness is when we encounter temptation to give in or give up. And we need to persevere in that. Maybe you think this list is too much. I can't do this. You're right, you can't. You can't do it by yourself. The beauty of Christianity is that God gives us the power to do these things. We just have to have the desire, the discipline, and the obedience. Perseverance or patience, patient endurance, is not merely a lack of emotional response. It has the idea of carrying a heavy load all the way to the end. Persevering under a heavy load, a trial, if you will. Um, I ran across, across a quote from J. Vernon McGee. I don't know, some of you may remember him. He was, uh, he was an old-time preacher. Um, and he had a, a, a radio talk show. He was, he was kind of my first radio teacher, if you will, who, who I really tried to listen to uh, on, a, on a regular basis. But he said this, Many folk have the wrong concept of what patience really is. They think it means sitting in a traffic jam on, a, on the freeway in the morning without worrying about getting to work. Well, that's not patience. It just gives you an excuse for being late to work. Patience is be being able to endure when trials come. It's not just um, a lack of an emotional response. It's going through the heavy burden of whatever you're going through, carrying that load to completion enduring. Number six, godliness. It refers to a behavior that characterizes or reflects the character of God. And it presupposes a desire to please God in all of your relationships in life. Do we have that? Do we have that character that reflects God? The last two are probably the easiest to define. Brotherly love. Guess, guess which word that came from? Anybody? Philadelphia. Brotherly love. It's, thought, it's thoughtful consideration of fellow believers. I, I define it as intentional 
random acts of kindness. It can be any number of things. Um, brotherly love is taking people in our church community and loving them. Lastly, Peter um, mentions love, and, and, and this is love to the broader, um, the broader community. Love which seeks the welfare of the person above our own welfare. It reaches out to all people, not just fellow believers. You probably noticed in your life that it's easy to love people who are lovable. It's hard to love people who are not lovable. Peter says it doesn't matter. Got to love them all. Love them all. Not an easy thing to do. And, and I believe it's, it's only done with God's grace. God gives us the power. Is, it, is this list hard? Yes. If it were easy, we wouldn't need the Spirit's help. The provision to accomplish these things in our lives comes from God's Spirit. He gives us the power to do these things. It's a good checklist that helps us evaluate Evaluate whether we are all that God wants us to be. These are the traits of a maturing Christian whose faith is vital, not dead. The results of all this is the taste test. We've been in the kitchen. We put all the ingredients together. It's been in the oven. Now we've got to taste it and see if it, if it came out the way it's supposed to. Peter says... When you incorporate all these things in your life, you will be useful and productive in God's kingdom. Do we really want to be useful and productive in God's kingdom? The New Living Translation puts this in the positive, but your translation may have used two negatives to, to make a positive. Your translation may have said, if you do these things, you will not be useless. Two, two negatives, not and useless. Uh, it's interesting. The word for useless is, um, is a word that, that it means literally not working. Not that you've been laid off or, or out of work like that, but not working because you're lazy not working because you're shirking your work. We might think of being useful and productive as optional. It isn't. It is, it is an essential part of our Christian life. He goes on, he goes on to say in verse 9 that... Um, if we don't have these things, we will be nearsighted and blind. We're crippled. We're crippled because we can't see. We, we don't have these things in our lives and, and we are, we're not productive. We're not useful because we're crippled. Because we do not incorporate these things into our lives. The motivation for all this 
comes, Peter says, remember what was done for you. Don't forget your salvation. And the forgetting is not just memory loss, although it probably includes that, but it's failing to take into account the meaning and significance of our salvation. By forgetting, it's, it's kind of doing the same thing as viewing your salvation as mere fire insurance and failing to realize the benefits of salvation in our daily lives. God wants us to be incorporating these things in our daily lives so that as a body, as a person, we will be useful and productive. I like the way the last, the third point is God's promise in view of our response. If we respond appropriately, Peter has a promise here. And I like the way the New Living Translation describes it. God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Roll out the red carpet. What a neat, what a neat view that will be um, when we incorporate these things into our lives. Peter does not take it for granted that spiritual growth will occur automatically or inevitably. Indeed, the character development he thinks of cannot occur apart from the believer making every effort towards that end. Um, My translation said, make every effort. Yours might have said, work diligently. Um, In verse 10, Peter says, work hard. It's going to take some effort on our part. This does not mean, of course, that the believer does it all on his own. God supplies the basic resources and provides help along the way. But Christian growth will not occur apart from our diligent participation in the process. If we learn nothing else from this passage, we must learn this. We do not passively experience Christian growth, but actively pursue it. It's work to pursue maturity. That's the bottom line. So in view of all this, and as I went through the list, I kind of, I kind of um, give myself a report card and came up with how am I going to, how am I going to work on incorporating these things into my life? And like you, I probably have some things that I give myself a pretty high grade in. And I have some things that don't quite measure up. So I have three suggestions to get us moving down the road to maturity. You, you may throw these out the window or you may incorporate them, but act on them. Act on do something to incorporate these eight things into your life. So my three suggestions for me, and you, you, can, you can take them for what they're worth. First one, 
pray and confess my lack of desire and discipline and obedience. We probably all will agree that we have not done enough. We have not done enough. We have not done what we need to do in all these areas. So pray and confess that, remember, if there's any fault to be administered, to anybody to be blamed for us not reaching spiritual maturity, it's us. God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Second thing, pray and ask God to help me grow in each one of these areas by name. We've defined them. You, you know what they are. They're not hard to understand. We got a pretty good idea of, of what God wants us to do in our lives. We just need to have the desire, the discipline, and the obedience to work them into our lives. Peter said, work hard at it. And it's going to take some work. Thirdly, evaluate and see how I'm doing. Give myself a report card each month and repeat numbers one and two as needed. It, it, it kind of will be a, a, a circle, if you will. Um, as the report card comes out, you'll recognize, oh, there's some things I need to work on. Um, and God will bring that. I said that he gives us the power to do this. Part of, his, of what God's Spirit does is help us to recognize we need to work harder in this area. He will point that out to us. And, and we, need to, we need to accept the criticism and make it our goal to incorporate these things into our lives. This passage, probably more than any other passage in the New Testament, gives us a concise view of what it means to, to not just be a Christian, but to grow as a Christian and become useful and productive in God's kingdom. So when somebody else comes up and says, oh, if only, if only you would have known about this, you could be, you could be more spiritual. No, that's not it. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Nobody to blame if we don't get there but ourselves. Let's close in prayer. <sighs> Heavenly Father, my prayer for myself and for everyone here, for everyone watching, is that we would all desire to attain to maturity. Lord, um, we recognize that's not automatic. We recognize we have to work at it. Father, I pray that you would, you would give us the desire, the discipline, and the obedience to make that happen. Lord, um, Whatever it takes, 
help us as we, as we walk this earth to become these eight things and incorporate them into our lives. Lord, I thank you for, for First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter, and this message of, of what it takes to live a life of godliness. Thank you, Father, for, for all of this, for, the, for the, the grace you give us, for the equipping you give us, Ultimately, thank you for our great salvation. Lord, uh, I pray that you would, um, you would give us the power to incorporate these things into our lives. We pray this all because of Jesus. And we pray this all because we want to be useful in your kingdom. Amen.